It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 on everyone welcome to mic'd up an unapologetic podcast based in charleston south carolina i'm your host mika gadsden and on today's episode we're going to take another deep dive into politics you know election day is right around the corner the day of this recording is october 28th 2018 so november 6th is is right upon us right so i wanted to have another extended conversation about our local politics and i wanted to to get the perspective of a local advocate or activist. Um, His name is A.J. Davis. A.J. is a fixture in the Charleston education scene, and he currently holds a position at the historic uh, Burke High School. So I thought his, uh, his experience and his perspective would be valuable for this discussion about our local school board race. If any of you have been reading the newspaper lately or watching the local news, you'll see that the local school board race has become quite contentious. I myself have even gotten caught up in it and have uh, been in communication with a local reporter who covers education for Charleston, the Charleston Post and Courier, uh, Paul Bowers. And just today, the morning of this podcast recording, um, another article was published from reporter Paul Bowers regarding the school board race and what's at stake and the major players. So I really wanted to sit with AJ, have another deep dive, a long conversation, but a substantive one where we discuss what's at at stake. Um, we also discuss the ballot. We go over my sample ballot. We go down uh, the list in terms of who, who AJ shares his thoughts as to who's running for what and and what their interests may or may not be. I want to just advise folks who are listening, these thoughts are entirely AJ's thoughts and mine as well. We're not helping you vote. We're not telling you how to vote. I wanted him to share his perspective and break it down, um, especially looking at my ballot. And if you're in the Charleston metro area or surrounding areas, your ballot's going to look totally different from mine in a lot of ways. But I wanted to give you a perspective and I wanted to give you something to chew on. Not only do we talk about school board, we kind of go over Joe Cunningham. Uh, We also talk about uh, local fixtures in the community. And we're going to link a few articles about uh, recent newsmakers and uh, and potential lawmakers. I'm going to link that all in the show notes description. So uh, sit back, enjoy this extended conversation with a local favorite of mine, AJ Davis. And I'll see you next episode. Bye. So can you just introduce yourself and who you are? Sure. Uh, My name is A.J. Davis, and I consider myself a community education advocate. Um, And I say advocate because I approach it from the standpoint of educating and informing uh, parents, community members, guardians, and anyone that has a genuine concern for education about what's happening uh, locally and nationally. So when you say locally, I know you reside in North, uh, North Charleston, right? Yes, yes. So where, but but where do you work? Uh, I work for Charleston County School District at Burke High School. Okay. Yes. Okay. So you work in and around education. Um, what brought you to, I guess, become so active in uh, our local kids' lives? Basically, working within the public school system, I had had a couple of positions 
uh, as a program coordinator and where I worked directly on, from an academic standpoint and realizing uh, some of the challenges, I don't want to call them deficits, they were challenges that many of our kids faced. Then I, I began to see a pattern uh, from a systemic standpoint that the challenges that our kids face could be overcome if the right supports and infrastructure were put in place. And when I started looking at why wasn't that in place, that's when I kind of uncovered this whole Pandora's box of um, political chicanery, you know, uh, status quo keeping, all of that. So that's why I got you here. So we gonna calm down. We I wish we had some. I don't drink often, but I really do wish we had something here, because um, I really want to get to the to the crux of the issue. Um, like I alluded to, I get I've gotten so many calls, emails, messages on Facebook about the school board issue, and as I also admitted. I so what prompted this whole conversation I'm having with you and what prompted us meeting in in the first place was that I had put my name behind an organization that's called the the Charleston Coalition for Kids. I put my name behind him after speaking with his founder. I found him to be very passionate. I found him to be um, very just like he really wanted to provide solutions to some of the problems that you just mentioned. And I I was for all I guess for lack of a better word I was duped into thinking that he was gonna provide solutions that took into account Charleston's history. Charleston's history with racism, Charleston's history with um, perhaps some impropriety on the school board and in local government. And um, as soon as I signed my name on that to that coalition, that's when you came into my world and you were like, hold up, I don't know if you know, but. So let me ask you this, you've been inundated lately, what, do you think about this Coalition for Kids? What's going on? What have you been telling folks where you live about the Coalition for Kids? So one of the things that I think is interesting, as, as you said, I, I reached out to you once I saw your name, is the fact that the coalition kind of appeared out of nowhere. And it it started touting itself as this authority on everything public education. So when once I started hearing a lot of the rhetoric, I was like, mm, no, these folks weren't around when we were advocating for Lincoln not to be closed or the issues with racism at academic magnet or the issues with the unfair treatment of teachers, regardless of race, at Title I schools, which are predominantly African-American. So what's a Title I school? A Title I school, for those who don't know, is a school that has a significant percentage of students who are qualified as poverty-stricken. So basically, it's not just whether or not you have, uh, let's say, food stamps or, or you live in the projects. It's just by the federal guidelines and other criteria. That school has a significant percentage of students who are qualified as poor. So Title I is the designation of federal funds in addition to the school's overall budget to help address academic deficiencies that come through that. So when you saw the Coalition for Kids, and I guess you saw some of the language as to like explaining what they were and what they purported to do, um, you said the language was kind of alarming because you've heard it before. Is it something that would sound reminiscent to something else? Yeah, just like a lot of different things in Charleston, you've got this um, savior complex. Uh-huh. 
escape your complex meaning like they're coming in and they're trying to yeah yeah, yeah okay. they're, they're coming in and they are going to be the ones to help people okay all right so okay i got it so okay what i think too what i what i've noticed with the coalition and with this founder was there was a lot of vagaries around it um but then as soon as the candidates for the coalition were announced as soon as they announced who the candidates that they were supporting for this upcoming election on november 6th that's when the metaphorical or the figurative shit hit the fan so tell me about your reaction <laughs> your reaction to the candidates that were listed and just let's go by because we have the post and curry in front of us and let's go, look, look we'll look at their we'll look at their faces right mm-hmm. we'll go by each person and just explain first break down each candidate that's going to be on the ballot for the coalition for kids and just tell me you know and i want you to make sure it i want you to explain the best way you can we want to get to the bottom of this I know you're not, like you mentioned this to me yesterday or the day before, you're not interested in bashing individuals. Right. You want to make sure, that, but you do want to uh, bring light to what the issues are with um, with these candidates. So let's look at the candidates and just break down who they are. Okay, so, <clears throat> excuse me. No, you so yeah, we've got the coalition endorsed uh, the incumbents, which are Eric Mack, uh, Cindy Barncoats, Kate Darby, and I always butcher her name. I believe it's uh, Julia Green okay. and not uh, Vivian. Vivian Green's a singer. Okay, that's fine. Right. But, um, and so basically, with the exception of Miss Green, the, the coalition has endorsed the same board leadership that has been there for the last couple of years. Mac and Darby are first term uh, board members. Cindy Coates has actually been on the board since 2010. This would be her third term. Okay. And Miss Green is a newcomer. Okay. Um, I would imagine that they lumped them all together because they pretty much would align with the same interests that the coalition seems to have. Okay. What do you think the interest of the coalition is? Well, I'll go ahead and say that I believe the coalition is an arm of the chamber and moneyed interest here in Charleston. And I believe that if you look at the voting records of each of the three incumbents, it's not hard to tell. Oh, wait. So hold, hold up because you're breaking news right there in terms of what you think. So like many citizens and like you specifically, because you have a history working within the schools and on nonprofits, you're looking at like how they voted in the past. Mm-hmm. And you, you're naming the, the Charleston Chamber of Commerce as a potential player in this okay break that down what makes you think yeah so so the the charleston chamber of commerce and and in full transparency is a partner in education and and that's not unheard of however Mm -hmm. um it gets dicey when the initiatives or the perspectives of the chamber Mm -hmm. supersedes the goal of the education system so it's easy for the chamber to say, oh, well, we think you should do this because we want to increase this in the workforce. And that's all well and good if it truly translated to a benefit to the teachers, staff and students in the school district. But I think more so than not, what I see it as it's a benefit for chamber members who do business with the district. OK, so in your history, you okay? So you you've seen the overlap between business and education. You, yes. You feel like it's like a, um, a conflict of interest when I, where, where our students are concerned. 
Yes. Um, Charleston County's educational record as it relates to student achievement is very, very uh, questionable. So I think having the chamber come in as opposed to uh, listening to the, I guess, perspectives and opinions of educators and staff members who deal directly with the students and having all these prepackaged initiatives that are driven by the notion of increasing workforce participation kind of overshadows the crux of what our educational system should be about. So you work in Berg every day, and again, you also worked with nonprofits, um, education nonprofits before? Yes. Okay. So you, you're acquainted with how our schools are working or how they're not working. Right. Tell me what you see in Berg. Where, where do you see the, the uh, school board or the, the education system failing your, your students at Berg? Where do you see the most failure? Basically understanding exactly what and who our students are. Um, having a one-size-fits-all approach um, to it, thinking that you can buy a prepackaged curriculum, put it in the school, and automatically it's going to yield the results that you want. Um, Burke is a great school. I think Burke has not been allowed to have the true autonomy it needs to do what is necessary to help students achieve. Why? Well, um, look at the neighborhood around Burke. Uh, for Burke to be the only neighborhood high school downtown, it is woefully under-enrolled. Um, what, what's a neighborhood high school? Well, basically, a neighborhood school is a school that sits in a community which is supposed to be an asset for that community. Okay. So you're supposed to be able to walk your kids to the school, drive a short distance. That's how our public education system was initially designed. Um, before we got into this notion of um, gentrification and all the other factors that affect a school. Um, but in Burke, I see great students, but I also see increased pressure to yield results for certain people. And those certain people are oftentimes individuals who do not even have kids in the school. Uh, so maybe uh, you're talking about political figures within education? Well, not necessarily or political. F- not necessarily that. Okay. People who live around the neighborhood whose okay. kids should be attending Burke. Like, uh, that's the unspoken thing that CCSD will never acknowledge. Why is Burke a predominantly African-American school still predominantly African-American? So this is a big issue. So now we're touching on uh, segregation. And yes. I think that's going to tie into where we go when we discuss the Coalition for Kids, because in our previous conversations, you mentioned how this is just another iteration or reiteration of segregation-like tactics. So you're right. A lot of people have chosen to not support neighborhood schools Uh by sending their kids to private institutions. Not necessarily private institutions, but other more high-achieving public institutions. Okay. So... Is Burke the only is Burke is the only high school neighborhood high school on the peninsula? Yes. What other high schools are on the peninsula? Technically, Charleston uh, Math and Science Charter School. They are a high school. Okay, where is that one at? That is on King Street, across from Rodney Scotts. It's the old Rivers Building. Okay, I gotcha. I know that. Okay, gotcha. All right. So that's that was in, that was actually helpful, and also. Um, What I'll try to do in the description notes of this podcast is link some of the historical relevance of Burke as well, because Burke figured into a lot of civil rights history, which which is everyone's history. So there's also a historical component to Burke. So what do you think what's going to happen to Burke in the next five years? 
I think Burke is going to change. I think Burke has to change, even though it's a very contentious issue. But I, my my fear or my apprehension is the way Burke changes is going to be clumsily handled. Um, if we allow the same incumbent board members to uh, retain their seats, I feel that they, along with the current administration, is not going to truly and and respectfully handle what will become the transition of Burke from a predominantly historic African-American public high school to a high school that reflects the neighborhood and community in which it sits. Um, I have reasons for that being that there was also an attempt by another local charter school to share space in Burke, and I feel the way that that was handled. Wait, what was that? Allegro Charter School of Music. So what was that going to look like? No one could really answer that, and I think that that is another reason why I have such an aversion to having the incumbent board members um, reelected because they, to my, in my opinion, didn't do a good enough job of one standing up for Burke and the Burke community, and two explaining why something like this was even an option. Um, you had. Burke staff wondering how they're going to share space with the charter school, which from all the accounts that I got was going to get all the benefits of Burke. And all we would get is the ability to say that maybe our students had access to a guitar class. That's it. So uh, so where does the, the, the board members, the incumbents that you see on the ballot this, this election, um, where do you see them not stepping up for not just Burke students, but for the other students as well at other uh, schools, where do you see them kind of disappointing our community? So it, whenever you talk about education in Charleston County, the bottom line is when you talk about the statistics, you're talking about black students, black families, okay. black communities. Up until this year, they didn't do that. No matter how many reports came out, and, and you got to think about it like this, these current board members were at the helm when the academic magnet issue took off. What's that issue? The watermelon gate where... Explain that. I don't know what that Sure. Is. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, Academic Magnus football team was having a you know a winning season, but they had this ritual where upon winning games against you know black schools, they would bash a watermelon that had a face drawn on it and make what was termed monkey sounds. Now, of course, board members, you know, parents of the opposing teams brought this to board members' attention, in particular Michael Miller, who championed the issue, and it was brought to the attention of then Superintendent <clears throat> Dorita Postway, I mean, not Dorita Postway, excuse me, Nancy McGinley, who launched an investigation and deemed that the uh, practice could be, was racially offensive. And so um, there was outrage on the part of the academic magnet family community uh, because the coach got fired. There was a petition raised, and then basically 24 hours, 3,000 signatures were attached to this petition. Um, needless to say, the coach's job was reinstated and then began a petition to remove then-Superintendent Nancy McGinley, which within a month's time, she was gone. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so this happened, and what didn't the school board do to address this? 
pretty much everything you could do to show that you're not comfortable with addressing race, they did. They hired a consultant, black person, who was going to come in and tell them things that we, the community, could have told them and had already been telling them. They didn't do, you know, a a, a true, honest um, breakdown and discussion with the black community. And this all happened around the same time that we had the issues with Walter Scott, Mother Emanuel, you know, the rush to even get the current superintendent came in under their watch. Okay, so um, the coach was reinstated. Is he still there? Oh, yeah. Okay. So this made news, and I'll probably find the pub. I'll find the publicity yeah. around Warden, and, and I'll uh, include that in the show notes as well. But you feel like their inaction yeah. just highlights what the one of the issues you have with the board. Yeah, especially regarding the incumbents. It's not lost on people who follow Charleston County School Board uh, policies and meetings to know that the three incumbents, um, including Reverend Mack, are not necessarily the most, I guess, in tune with the issues of the black community now. Even, to, even Reverend Mack, because he, he's African American. Right. And who's the other African American uh, uh, on the ballot? Miss Green. But she's new. She's new. Oh, okay. And I really don't know anything about her. Oh, okay. okay. Now, to, to Reverend Mack's credit, he did stand up for Lincoln in, in um, addition to uh, Michael Miller and Chris Collins. But that was largely because public sentiment caused him to, in my opinion. So what was Lincoln? Where, where was Lincoln? Lincoln was out in McClellanville. And they closed that school. And they closed that school because in typical education speak, they said it was more cost effective to send those kids to Wando. And in, in a slight to black education, they said that they would get a better, more higher quality education at Wando, i.e. a predominantly white school. So McClellanville is is predominantly black that area. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, and definitely a lower income bracket than inner uh, Mount Pleasant is. So, so yeah, so it's near Mount Pleasant, it's Berkeley County. Well, actually, McClellanville um, <clears throat> is more near the Georgetown border. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so let's fast forward to today. So, like, um, you got I've gotten messages yesterday asking me when they thought an article would uh, appear. From the Post and Courier, because we've been also we've been contacted by a local reporter who covers education, Mr. Paul Bowers, and it's so funny because um, I, I did have a conversation with Paul. I only shared my experience with the coalition's founder, Josh Bell. That's all I really had to move on, and I let him know that I was no longer affiliated. Um, but in speaking with Paul, I realized that he he was trying to, or at least attempting to, get to the bottom of the Coalition for Kids where it came from you just mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that it came out of nowhere so to speak um and so it sounds like paul was trying to answer some of the questions that you have that i have and my and many of our mutual friends but um when we when you and i glanced at the article we did notice there was a little light on substance yes um first of all let me ask you what's your opinion on the piece real quick simply put i think the post and courier is a um water carrier for the status quo. Okay. So in the reporting that you were able to, to look at, you didn't find any really, any biting words uh, indicting some of these players or anything like that. So you feel as if the, the Post and Courier itself 
perhaps is not giving us the best or most uh, most transparent reporting. I feel like the piece was more of a fluff job in an attempt to give not only the incumbents but the current administration props, given the fact that they are getting a very um, public negative publicity barrage. So also what, what you just brought to my attention was that the Post and Courier, they came out with their endorsements because, again, the, the um, as of this, today is uh, uh, October 28th. So, um, you know, the, the November election is right around the corner. And so they've been releasing their endorsements, the Post and Courier has. So they've endorsed the who? Who have they endorsed? They've endorsed the same uh, candidate slate as Coalition for Kids. So that leads me to believe that there was never going to be any real substantive reporting on the real issues regarding public education. In, and from my conversation with Paul, um, I again, I don't want to impugn his integrity. Maybe he was limited. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps because of the endorsement, perhaps there was an editorial decision um, from the Post and Courier to kind of ease up a little bit. You called it a fluff piece. Um, we, we see, we're looking at pages and pages right now. Um, he covers a lot of ground. I don't, I don't know how deep he dug, but he, he's talking about everything from teacher's pay to endorsements, some of the big billionaire figures who are supporting the coalition. But what should have been included in this article from your opinion? So the pieces that he covered... Are, are, are good. I mean, of course, teacher pay is a national issue. That's one of the, the reasons why you saw the strikes in West Virginia and Arizona, Chicago. Um, I think the, the, the fact that we're talking about education as a whole is, is a good thing. It's, it's, it's a, a bittersweet moment. But one of the, the key issues and the issue that I'm going to continue speaking about publicly is that who are we talking about when we say improving education? By and large, statistically, and these statistics are out there and I discuss them almost ad nauseum, black students, black students in Charleston County in particular are at the bottom of the academic totem pole. Um, In one of the superintendent's reports from 2017, she chronicles the fact that 11th grade students across four subject areas, English, math, reading, and science, those four subject areas, black students, 11th grade, only scored at least 12% at grade level, 11th grade on the ACT, all right? And that's right before you're supposed to graduate high school. So for me, if you're not talking about the fact that the second largest school district in the state, where 40% of its student population is African-American, and they have been repeatedly failed, And yet you have another, again, savior organization coming in to tell the public that, oh, you need to vote for these folks. Yet you do nothing to truly discuss what actions and steps are going to be taken to address that. I can't follow that. So let me ask you some questions about you personally. Where did where did you grow up? Allendale, South Carolina. Okay, so put put that in perspective, like what town is close to Allendale? Uh, you could say Orangeburg, Hampton, you know, Aiken, Augusta. So when did you come to this area, like the Charleston, Carol- Charleston County area? About 20 years ago, um, came, went to school, was in the military for a brief stint, and um, got married, divorced, and kind of just taking up roots here. 
I got you. So, okay, so the only reason why I asked you that is because my history with the Charleston County School District is not as um, is not as deep as you in terms of the role you've played for students. But, okay, so I'm 30. I'll be 38 next month. So I had to, my dad semi-retired to Charleston, and I had to finish the 10th through 12th grade. I had to finish high school in Charleston. And when I tell you, just from like a layman's, like a person just from the outside, yeah, I have my bachelor's, yeah, I went on to do some good stuff. But as a layman, even back then, I was very, very surprised by how poor the level of education was. And this is what, 96, 97, 98, kinda, and I graduated the class of 99. Um, when I, I saw, what I saw as a teen that I did not know what, what, what it was, was I saw segregation. Uh-huh. I saw 20-year-olds in my 10th grade math class. Uh-huh. Um, I never, ever in my life had to go to summer school. Um, I had to go to summer school. I always had teachers that offered supplemental help uh-huh. and whatnot. I didn't have that, so I had to go to summer school. I remember going to Burke in the summer. I remember lights being off, and I remember it being hot. <laughs> um and so it's, I bring up all of that in my experience. And, oh, I, I also remember guidance counselors telling me that I was not intelligent enough to go to a four-year school. Mm-hmm. Thank God the Internet just started popping because I was able to go to the library after school and find my own applications and apply for my own schools because had I listened to that guidance counselor, both me and my twin brother would have been, I don't know, I think she told me to fix cars or something crazy. It was mm-hmm. nuts, right? So I say all that to say that was me as a student. That was my experience with Charleston County Public Schools. Is a lot of that still happening here? Yeah, yeah. A lot of that is still happening. And there's a there's a cultural gap. You know, we talk about the achievement gap. There's a cultural gap. In 2018, we still have individuals who don't know how to relate, not just on a racial context, in a racial context, but just in a human context with individuals who are different. You've got students, yes, poverty is definitely a factor in education, Um, race and racial differences, cultural context. But the bottom line is in education, that's where the, the role of education becomes that much more important because education is supposed to be this this haven of um, human growth and development. It's not just about teaching kids how to take a test, teaching them how to you know make A's, right. teaching so them to go to college. Become a, become a bigger person, a better person. Right, yeah. and, and to find out what kind of person that you are. Yeah. But it seems as though that's only restricted for certain students from certain demographic groups and unfortunately, black students still in 2018 remain at the bottom. The the test scores and the and the the statistics show that. So, I'm not going to co-sign for any group that is going to continue to ignore their role and the issue itself. So, all right. So, on your ballot, so you you and I live in totally different areas. Do you know who you're going to vote for? Yeah, so everybody has the ability to vote for all four seats, even though, you know, you may live in North Charleston, you're still going to vote for the person in West Ashley. Uh, My intended ballot is going to be uh, Ms. Vivian Pettigrew, who's running for North Charleston's seat, Um, Paul Padron, who's going to run for West Ashley's seat, Jake Rambo, who's running for one of the Mount Pleasant seats, and Sarah Shad Johnson, who's also running for one of the uh, Mount Pleasant seats. Can you tell us, like, out of either all of them or which candidate 
um, really uh, has maybe lit a fire or you feel excited about or is anyone, you don't feel excited, but you just explain why you're voting for them. So you have Jake Rambo and Paul Padron both coming out of the district as principals and Paul was a district level administrator. And I know uh, Paul personally and I, I've met Jake. And so I think they offer a, a more school-centered, community-centered approach to board governance. They understand that, yes, there are certain things that you have to do as board members, but they also understand that the board is should also include and inform the community and make sure that the decisions that they make don't have an adverse effect. With Ms. Pettigrew, she is a former educator as well, and I feel that she is going to bring a much-needed teacher-centered perspective um in full disclosure miss mosley does that as well she's also running for the same seat that miss pettigrew is i just have a a greater feel for miss pettigrew and i feel that she is also someone that is going to distance herself from a lot of the toxicity that currently exists in the district sarah shad johnson out of mount pleasant is a stalwart education advocate on policy. I mean, her knowledge and understanding of policy is second to none. And that's something that is not only necessary, but needed, especially in today's context where the, the, the board is seen as an entity that acts of its own accord. And Sarah comes from the perspective of a mom and a community person. She's also been involved with the constituent board. So she understands the organizational layers. What's the constituent board? So Charleston County is, is unique in the fact that it has a school board of trustees and it has a second board, which used to be the boards that govern the various areas. So before it became a consolidated school board, each respective area had their own school board that governed what was going on. And those those boards remain today. So, so does that give uh, people more oversight? Does it give? How, how does it help? A lot of people struggle. There's there's been pros and cons about it. People say we should get rid of the constituent board. Folks say no, we need them. Um, currently, the constituent boards, in my opinion, serve a purpose. Um, those boards are the boards that determine attendance zones. Those boards are also the boards that do um, suspension and expulsion hearings. So, you know, when people talk about school discipline, your constituent school boards are the ones that handle that and are tools that you can use to address some of those disparities. So um, I just pulled up my sample ballot and on the ballot and I'm going to go back to um, the school board itself. But what's on my ballot, since you brought up the constituent board, made me think about the question. Uh, the, the statewide constitutional amendments question. So a lot of people, I don't know if people ask you about this question. All right, so let me just read it real quick for listeners. It says, um, must section seven, article six of the constitution of the state relating to the state constitutional officer. Wait a minute, this is too much legalese. But basically it's asking whether, what, what, what do you think this question is asking? That, so the question is an amendment. <laughs> And it, it's just too long for me to read. Got you. Okay. So, yeah, and, 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 and I'm glad you're bringing this up. So, basically, what this is, is that beginning in 2023, if folks vote yes to this, the school, the superintendent of education for the state 
The state superintendent of education will no longer be a position that's elected. It will be appointed by the governor. That's so if they vote yes to yes. the amendment. Okay. Yes, if you vote yes to that, if you vote no, it will remain the same. And the state superintendent of education will continue to be an elected position. I say vote no because you do not. You do not want to have something. Right, a Bessie DeVos or education monopolized by one particular party. That's right. And in this state, it's been so disproportionately one-sided. Even though the governor is weak compared to other states, um, governor and in, in, in power. Um, so you're going to vote no to the amendment. We're not telling you how to vote, but... Um, I myself had already planned to vote no because right. I think the power should be in the people's hands right. as opposed to, like you said, concentrated power. Yes. Um, so that's cool. I, I wanted to bring it up so, because you brought up the constituent board and I wanted to, to know more about the layers of who has what power. So now I'm going back up my, my uh, sample ballot. And let's do this real quick. Um, it all ties into education. So let's go in governor, the, like each high profile race that may have an impact on education, chief of which meaning the governor. So we have for the Democrats running, we have James Smith and his, um, I guess, running mate, a lieutenant governor uh, nominee is uh, Mandy Powers Norell. And he's running against McMaster and Pamela Yvette. How do you think, I already know how, I have a strong inkling how that race is going to go. We're going to have, we're going to have McMaster for a little bit longer, in my estimation. Um, but what does that mean for students if McMaster gets into office? So, G- Governor McMaster is is nothing if not a... Mm-hmm. Keep talking, yeah. If not a uh, shill, I should say, for the current president. Mm-hmm. Also, I, I don't think the current governor has a background to understand the true impact of education, education policy uh-huh. to, po- to positively impact the state. Okay, so, and I think that came out during the primary. Right. Um, another candidate who, who didn't win, she mentioned um, that the governor didn't have as much power as people thought mm-hmm. in terms of that. What about with the whole, um, I know they amended the, um, what was the, uh, the disturbing schools Right. Um, that that was a whole mess, especially right. how it pertains to black girls. Because I read a study that um, that said that black girls were twice as likely to be suspended from school than their white male counterparts. Um, but how does um, how does uh, I guess the governor impact things like safer schools, like cops in schools, and stuff like that? Well, the, the governor definitely has an impact in that, um, especially if they have context on why we even have officers in school or the behavior. And I want to go back to something you mentioned about yeah. with the disturbing schools law. Uh-huh. Charleston County, if you look up the statistics uh, for suspensions and expulsions, uh-huh. um, actually Charleston County is doing better than um, many in the nation in terms of black girls. The oh, suspension rate. That's good news. Right. Now, 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 here's the thing. Expulsion rates for black girls are low as well. Black boys, however, black boys are five, six, seven, eight times higher than everybody else. When you look at the expulsion rates and they have a three year snapshot, black males are suspended at the high school and middle school levels at between six to nine times higher than everyone else in Charleston County. Wow. Right. Okay. 
And so the governor, as well as the state legislature, also have a direct role because the disturbing schools law was a law, an educational policy law that was actually drafted by um, legislators in the upstate. And it unfairly targets students of color because then it was so vague that you could basically be a kid that refused to do your work in class. And go and, and get a felony charge. Right. Yeah. So. Which is the pipeline to prison. Right. 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 Okay. All right. Let's move on to now on your ballot. Who's your, you know who your congressperson is? Mm-hmm. Is it, um, you're not in a crime run. Yes. You are. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you don't, okay. So I'm in a, I'm in a Joe Cunningham versus Carrie Aronson. Thank you. We're sharing a mic, guys, if you can hear the difference in volume. I'm just going to be candid. This is a grassroots po- uh, podcast. Right. We're sharing a mic. So on my ballot, um, I have, if you see, Katie Arrington and Joe Cunningham. Now, there's been some dust up about that. Yeah. Um, there have been, like, low-key tapings. People yeah. trying to act like they on the wire. <laughs> I mean, I was waiting for Avon and, yeah. and Marlo to come out with some beepers. Like, it's it's been, it's been crazy, but... From your understanding of the candidate, even though Joe Cunningham and um, that you're not in District One like I am, right, right. So, what is your take on that race? I have that can impact education. So, again, for those who may not know or be aware, South Carolina has seven congressional districts. Um, Charleston, I think, is affected by two: District One and District Six, which is Congressman Clyburn. Um, education in terms of educational funding, all of that um, is impacted by who we send to Washington because, again, each state lobbies for education. Uh, with that race in particular, the fact, and, and we got to go back to how Arlington even got in. The last minute push by President Trump, that which tweet, that tweet, that tweet, and listen, I follow politics, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, yeah, me too, wow." <laughs> so you know, I know Arrington was a state legislator as well, right? Um, and so she's hitched her wagon completely to the president, and you know that that's that was her, her strategy. I think honestly, she always been hella conservative, hella yeah. hella pro life. Um, her her interests didn't necessarily weren't in line with mine as a woman, especially around healthcare. But I honestly, in my work with the Center for Women and just my overall familiarity with her her legislative record, I actually was impressed with her as a lawmaker. Okay. As a lawmaker, I'm not saying ideologically or nothing like right, that. Right. And she wasn't so Trumpy um, before she entered the race against Sanford. Um, and now she, like you said, that's her, that she knows that that's her path, or she thought that was her path to victory. What do you feel about that race? Yeah. What do you feel like? Again, I'm gonna just reiterate the question because I took the mic, but um, like how that might impact education. So we know currently uh, President Trump appointed Betsy DeVos, who is a complete train wreck disaster for public education. Um, you talk about somebody being phoned in. That's her. Um, I'm not sure if. Miss Arrington uh, understands enough about the true details, and to be honest, I can't even say the same thing for Mr. Cunningham. I think the that race is is interesting because it's more Republican versus Republican light, right? Because so, so okay, you in full disclosure, you and I have not talked about Joe Cunningham. We've talked primarily about education and the school board. 
but so you arrived at the same conclusion I have, which is Joe Cunningham has found his strategy, his pathway to the victory seems to be to be as close to conservative Republican on most issues. And I think on some social issues, that's where he kind of gets a little more, and I'm using air quotes, liberal. So anyway, keep going. I, I, yeah, so I think with both of them, and it's interesting because if 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 Cunningham were able to pull this off, it will be, quote unquote, a Democratic victory, but I don't know how much. Because Cunningham is championing, you know, offshore drilling, which another surprise. Well, championing not. Uh, not yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. He's championing not doing offshore drilling, right. which I have to say, surprisingly, has been something getting a lot of traction in Republican circles. So, okay, so this is where I chime in. I always felt, and I mentioned this to the um, Cunningham campaign, um, not the Cunningham campaign, the James Smith campaign, um, when um, there was a little bit of chatter about me being engaged to help out with the campaign, um, but they decided to go another, another route. And I just mentioned that a lot of the issues that are popular on the right, not the right, but a lot of... Uh, um, Issues that are popular to white folks, just to be yeah. plain. Um, they, you know, white people are, are tend to be very vocal about the environment. Yes. I'm just talking from a cultural standpoint because right, right, right. we all care about green, yeah. you know, and black folk and gullah folk especially have been the first environmentalists and right. and the indigenous folk. Yes. Um, but um, in terms of being really passionate about issues and making that part of the platform, um, offshore drilling, like you said, took up yeah. like mad, like people just got really energized behind it. And it is, uh, that is to us, to me, a Gullah Geechee issue as well. Right. Because that preserves a lot of those islands, a lot of those territories. My island. Right. You know, all of our environment, it protects us and it protects our, um, you know, our connections to the land. But I was very surprised by how that's a driving point for the right. But then it's not that surprising when you think about tourism. Right. And also all those, I guess, properties that a lot of affluent whites own. So, but go ahead. Yeah. 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 And so I think with, with both of these, this race is, is in particular for me very, very interesting because I think it it's also going to become a barometer for presidential influence. So South Carolina having Arrington on the ballot versus Sanford. And Sanford, in the minds of some, was the one individual who would actually kind of push back a little bit against the president. Mm -hmm. And he was the hometown dude, you know. Um, But if Arrington is able to pull this off, so now what does that mean? Does that mean that she becomes a a extension of the president Mm -hmm. on these issues? I've heard her say she wants to work on infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Your president actually, in my area, North Charleston, was involved with a real estate deal that did not bode well for us. Well, he and his son, of course, he'll say he wasn't involved, but we know. know. Right. So now my question is, that deal basically has Charleston County now on the hook for another $100 million. That money could have definitely gone to, you know, do infrastructure. So my, my question is for her, like, in what way? outside of the campaign trail, are you truly going to, you know, work on infrastructure that's beneficial to all? Now, to Joe Cunningham, I also see his campaign strategy seems to be to distance himself from as much of the Democratic platform as possible.
possible. So, um, and this is what, uh, in the previous episode, episode 15, um, if you listen to the interview with uh, Alex, uh, Ale- Alexandra Coburn from Indivisible, uh, from, their, from their national office, you know, she and I spoke real quick about he's adopting that Connor Lamb strategy. Now, Connor Lamb won Pennsylvania as a Democrat, but he was in red country up yeah. there and the part of Pennsylvania that's very conservative. I felt like there was a copy and paste type of strategy. The only thing I really was disappointed, not the only thing, one of the most disappointing things about Joe Cunningham was, okay, you're going to distance yourself. He came out the gate anti-Nancy Pelosi, um, which I felt was, was for all these women screaming, um, slay the patriarchy and oh, oh, I'm going to march for women. Y'all, y'all not holding them accountable for that. Yes. That's one, cause yes. Nancy ain't. That's the boogie. That's that's the boogeyman that the right has created. Oh, yeah. And I ain't yeah. the biggest Nancy Pelosi stand, but I know she's effective in her job, and yeah. she ain't the problem. Right. And, and look, she ain't the the thing you need to put the bullseye on. So for all these feminists, it was really weird to see them embrace that and not push Joe on that, because it, had he been pushed, I felt like he would have stopped saying that. So that's one. So he's borrowing a, a page from the Connorland playbook, and what was really disappointing is how much. Yeah, Connor Lamb is in red, northern, or what, I forgot what part of oh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania yeah. But this is the this is the black belt. I would right. love for you to come and talk to black people, black women. I mean, like talk to black women. He had at no point he he determined. I don't know when or where, but he determined his path to victory did not include anybody black. What do you feel about that? So. There's not enough time <laughs> in know. the day. We're not going to stay on cutting him. Yeah, but I think he he took what what has now become the I guess the pathway for many folks, especially in politics, the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. He probably surveyed the landscape of that district, mm-hmm. um, and his strategist probably said, "These are the people you have to get." So basically, when when Arrington got the Republican nod, yeah. Cunningham's folks probably said, so how can we pick up the folks who would vote for Sanford? Because there's, there's also that that piece where the folks who would vote for Sanford, many of them were not Arrington fans. So to me, although I'm like you, there are black people in District 1, plenty of them. Um, he probably chose the very short-sighted agenda. And as you said, in a state that has the, the, the rate of violence against women, especially in communities of color, you don't you don't actually reach out and say, okay, I'm going to make this a part. You make your largest signs, signs to say, you know, um, purpose before party and, and people, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, down here at Calhoun. Yeah, low country, um, low country over party. Right, and I'm like, bro, you still a Democrat. We, we come on. Come on now. One I, thing the Republicans don't do, they don't shed their no, party label. And, that, and that's the thing that kills me. Like, um, all right, I get, be a little vague on some other stuff. The drilling, that was a slam dunk. I ain't gonna knock him for that. That was a good move, especially being that he's a, a and I don't want to use air quotes, but I, I believe he is an engineer. He's just not licensed in this state. Right. Um, so I get it. That was a slam dunk, easy layup, free throw, whatever you want to call it. But, bruh, I mean, I don't know why none of his strategy included. I haven't even, well, I haven't seen any black mailers. So, like, to my house, um, I reside in a place in a rural part of uh, Charleston County. Um, my parents are just, you know, died in the wool. Democrats, they vote straight ballot if I don't tell them not to. Yeah. Um 
and but I have not seen. So they should be on list. They should yeah. they should be part of the data, and we have not received any of those mailers. And why that's important, AJ, is because what's on your platform now informs how you're going to legislate. Yes. So if, if domestic yes. violence towards black women or domestic violence towards women, period, because this state disproportionately puts women at risk yes. of gun violence, um, he hasn't spoken out. And I know he mentioned in the, um, the, the Postal Courier also endorsed him, right. and it mentions how he's a pragmatist, as if that's something, whatever. Yeah. He's a pragmatist and he's a gun owner, almost like they're comforting white voters. Yeah. So now I call it I call it the Obama effect. If you remember, Obama got elected under a wave of euphoria in 2008, 2010 midterms. You couldn't find any Democrats running on an Obama led ticket. Mm -hmm. He jumped out the gate with health care and everybody went scrambling. So I'm looking at Cunningham doing the same thing, because now for me as a voter and, and, and this is not to sway anybody. The question you have to ask aligns with what you just said. Mm-hmm. So is Joe Cunningham going to represent me? Mm-hmm. Like, as black people, we're dealing with the issues in education. We're dealing with environmental issues as well. We're dealing with economic issues. Like, I haven't heard him speak to any of that. In essence, to me, it's almost like he's low-key auditioning to become a part of the Republican Party. And the party faithful who have come out, because you got some... some high-profile mayors and whatnot who have endorsed them, they're saying, yeah, this is the way we'll curry favor with you for that. But my question is, what happens if he does get it? So this is the thing. So Democrats are going to vote for him. Well, the um, establishment Dems have already made it clear that they're going to vote for him, and they should do whatever they want to do. Um, but this is what I hope people do. I hope that they take heed to that, what you just acknowledged. I hope that they take heed to... Um, what he's advocating for and also start reading between the lines of what he's not saying. Um, it's no, it's, it's an inside secret that um, among uh, many um, uh, progressive organizations, he has not, he's not been endorsed by progressive organizations. Um, and I think he did that on purpose. He's not trying to be progressive on healthcare. He's not trying to be progressive on anything really. He's, a, he's appealing to that right, white, a mythical moderate white male that might have voted Democrat, but whatever. Um, so that's fine too. But I hope people hold him accountable because I think they're going to be very surprised, especially with healthcare. Um, during the debates, he he said that he was for women's right to choose, and it was already litigated. But then, like a next sentence, he said that you know he mentioned rape and incest. Well, you don't need to mention those parameters if you right. believe in a woman's right to choose. So I really want people to look closely and start pushing. Vote for who you want to vote for. Right. The other part of being civically engaged is holding them to, hold them accountable. Exactly. So don't just like rah 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 wear your co- wear your t-shirts to the polls. Hold them accountable. Um, and I know everyone's tired of hearing me saying that, but it's important. I want to yep. say something too, and you mentioned this a, a few uh-huh. seconds ago about voting straight ticket. Here's here's some mythology that people have to understand. Uh-huh. We we were talking about education a little while earlier. We don't have a true challenger for the state superintendent. Mm-hmm. The person dropped out. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a teacher. I want to say she's in the upstate mm-hmm. who's listening a campaign to be a write-in. But yeah, for your state superintendent of education. Uh-huh. And I don't have, I'm, I apologize, I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah. But yeah, so you've got several positions on the ballot that are uncontested. So yeah, I'm looking right now, we're going back to the, we're going back to the ballot. So now I'm looking at State Superintendent of Education. 
you may vote for one, but it only has one choice, which is Molly Mitchell Spearman, yeah. Republican. There is no Democratic um, um, com- Ch- challenger. Yeah, challenger. So you're saying that there is a writing candidate that's, yes, that's and Democratic? Yes. Well, I don't know if she's Democrat. Okay. She, she's a teacher. She's a middle school teacher okay. who said we need somebody who understands education. So we'll include that in the notes. Right. I, yeah, me and you will talk after this. Yeah. Okay, so let's scroll down then. So right? if you go yeah. up also. Oh. All right, so a lot of a lot of folks make a lot of, um, I guess, dust up about Republicans versus Democrats. Oh, yeah. But we have to realize this. Many of our most significant state offices have have been held by Republicans for years. The 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 great myth has been that there's this um, equity between Democrats, Republicans, conservatives versus liberal uh, liberals, and nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, I remember years back when Republicans finally got education because that used to be a solidly Democratic office. I said, yeah, the Dems are slipping. So what I encourage people is to look at your ballot and look at what's there and if you don't understand what the offices are look them up right look them up you have time if you haven't voted early yet because absentee voting began um expanded on the 22nd mm-hmm. so um if you haven't voted like myself i intentionally because i wanted to give the school board issue a little bit more time to breathe so i intentionally did not vote yet however i will be voting probably within the next 40 uh the next maybe several days mm-hmm. um before uh november 6th of course so let's go down my sample ballot some more so we might have a potential write-in yes um that might be a favorable option for folks for state superintendent of education yes and okay. she is a teacher. Right. So who's the current state superintendent of education? Molly Spearman is your current state superintendent how's of education. She, how's she doing? She, she is someone, she's kind of um very vanilla. Okay. She doesn't excite me. I, I don't feel like she's like the bull in the china shop, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like she's also the person that gives me confidence to address the issues. It, it's almost like she plays it safe enough mm-hmm. to where folks are not, too upset with her she's she she's a from my understanding she's very affable but in terms of actually endorsing or or developing policy that can move the state forward i don't have a lot of confidence in her for that okay so now let's get to um the consolidated school boards of Mm. in as many areas of you if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. are you familiar with all areas or For real? Uh-huh. That's what's up. Okay. So the first one on my ballot is Consolidated School Board East Cooper. Right. So um, my ca- the candidates that people will be presented. And you're saying that when we go vote, everyone can vote for all of these? Yes. Okay. Everybody's sample ballot will show that. Charleston County is unique in that you may live in East Cooper, but you will vote on more than East Cooper. You will vote on everybody that's running. Do you think that's good? No. Here's why. Uh-huh. I understand the concept behind it, but I feel like it harkens back to the days of, of, of segregation where you could ensure that a white person who wasn't doing well in, in a black district right. got elected right. and thus maintaining the white power structure. So it, it like uh, and I think that's actually a, a very apt call out because it does take away power from, let's say, if it's a predominantly black area to have all these outside moneyed interests from let's say Mount Pleasant mm-hmm. or Daniel Island vote for you know a black area that already um, complicates things as, as you know they're already more uh, already complicated 
Okay, so for East Cooper Consolidated Board, we have Katie Darby, Joyce Green, Sarah, is it Shad Johnson, yeah. and Jake Rambo. You already mentioned that you're going to vote. For Sarah Shad Johnson and Jake Rambo. Okay. So so what are the other two? Like, they just, because you can vote two. You can vote two. Yeah, you have to vote for two in that race. East Cooper has two seats open. And what happened for us to have two seats open is Kate Darby and Chris Stobbs, who is not running, mm-hmm. they were elected four years ago. So our board, our consolidated board is staggered, which I can appreciate in its election process. So we're voting for the last four that got elected. Okay. All right, we'll go back to the ballots. All right, so, okay, now after East Cooper, we have consolidated board North area. So the names on there are Cindy... Coates, um, Linda Lucas, Vivian Pettigrew. Um, so out of those names, what's going on? I personally like Miss Pettigrew. Um, I would not be necessarily offended if Miss Lucas got it. Um, I know Cindy. I know she's been there for a minute. I just feel that she does not offer me confidence to address the issues that exist in, in black schools given her eight-year track record. Okay. All right, let's move on to Consolidated School Board for West Ashley. So the candidates we have is Francis Marion. Um, how do you pronounce his last name? Baylot. Baylot. Um, Herbert Fielding. Eric Mack. And Paul Pardon. Uh, Padron. Pat Padron. Excuse me, Padron. All right, so out of those... Um, I know there's a newcomer there. I know Francis is a newcomer. Yes. Yeah, that's the guy that wears the scrubs a lot, right? Yes, uh-huh. that is he, Francis. Yeah, Francis that's a signature is, look. Okay, yeah. so... Um, Very clinical in his approach. I don't understand that, but okay. Yes. Um, so out of those candidates, who you voting for Francis? Uh, no, I think Francis is a good guy. Francis probably would do better to be on like the constituent board I first. I think so, too. I, I, I really yeah. do feel like that. Uh, yeah. But for the consolidated board, my choice is Paul Padron. For the fact that he has been a, uh, a principal and, a, again, a district-level administrator, and you need somebody that understands the organizational structure from a practical standpoint. He's done that. Um, I wouldn't be offended if Mr. Fielding got in as well. Um, I just think that the learning curve for him is much, much higher. I know he also has name recognition as a Fielding Oh, that's as the well. funeral home. Right, okay, right. Okay. Um, okay. Even with Reverend Mac, my, my issue with Reverend Mac is very simple, just like Cindy. I, I feel as though I don't need to see four more years of the same thing before I figure out. But didn't Eric Mac lose his seat at one point? Or what? didn't he lose an election? Or No, he was attempting to be board chair. Oh, that's what he... Oh, yes. so he didn't... That yes. He wasn't successful in that. Right. Okay. All right, let's move on to constituent board for St. John's District 9. All right, so it says you may vote for four um, or less than four. And so let's read the names. Is, is it Renee? Yeah. It Renee. Uh, Brown Blodgen. Brown Blodgen. Uh, Leon Stoney Green. Tammy Lockhart. Karen Simmons. Monica Smith. And Aaron White. So what do you feel about this District 9? So District 9 is... Um, out there, Wabala. Yeah. Um, yep. St. John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I know Mr. Green has been out there. I think Mr. Green, Miss Blygen, uh, Miss Lockhart, and I want to say Miss Smith. Mm-hmm. Although any of the last three yeah. uh, can definitely be in. Um, 
And I think because if you understand what the constituent board does, again, they decide the attendance zones and they discuss um, and decide student expulsions. So, you know, I think you're you're not going to go wrong with any of them. And also, they're probably closer as a body that you as as a group you can get to than your your uh, consolidated board members. Which one is the coalition pick? Oh, none of them. So oh. here's the thing. The coalition has only done consolidated. Oh, this is constituent. Yeah, I'm so sorry. constituent is know small. What? I'm sorry. Let me just say that. That was a, uh, yeah, constituent board. We just read the candidates for constituent yeah. board for St. John's District 9. Sorry about that. Okay. So the, the only ones the, yeah. the coalition are doing is the consolidated ones. So what's the difference between constituent and consolidated? This is what this is the big board. Okay. This oh, is okay. the board that, the that determines your budget. Okay. Your policy. They used to do before they ceded that power to the superintendent. Oh. They used to do mm-hmm. the hiring of principals and assistant principals and things of that nature. So constituent, so constituent board for District Nine. What makes that different? Like that's your area. That's oh, because that's on my ballot. Yes, that's oh, your so area. Oh, so somebody else is gonna have yeah, a whatever their area is. Uh, so I'm gonna have District Four. Right. Somebody else in West Ashley will have District Ten. Okay. Somebody else will have District Twenty Three. Okay. Yeah. So I need to. Do my homework on these, but you're saying for you, your yeah. opinion, and you're not yeah. telling me how to vote. Yeah, I but know the, you're telling the, three, the last yeah. three you're familiar yeah. with. Yeah. Okay, and we already went over the, the statewide constitutional amendments question, and mm-hmm. you said voting no, no would help people continue to uh, to elect their own state yeah. educa- uh, superintendent of education. Yes. Okay, so yes, if you want uh, someone, uh, the governor, or I guess the state to pick yeah, your... Yeah, the governor would appoint it, right. just like the president does. Right. Okay. So, um, I think that was a really good rundown as to, like, what what offices, what elections, or mm-hmm. which, which races are going to impact election. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? You, this is your time to talk about now what you were thinking he- heading into the polls, heading into election day, in terms of what you want, what outcomes you want for students. So education-wise, and and then just, I guess you can say people-wise, I want to see a shift. Everybody seems to give Republicans and conservatives more credit than I think they're due in terms of saying, you know, South Carolina's a red state. It's only, it's only red. It's more purple, honestly, if we, if we really delve into it. It's just the fact that the ground game for the Republicans is much stronger. Yeah, they, they, they do quite well. Um... I want to see a change at, of course, the governor's level. Uh, We got a challenge for Secretary of State. You know, we've got a black man, Melvin T. Wittenberg, who's actually running, who's doing passionate pleas, you know, to try to get. And and for people who don't know, your Secretary of State governs like your um, labor licensing and regulation business and and whatnot. So that's a significant office. So when you start talking about uh, economic development, having somebody who has a different mindset. You know, Republicans have always touted their business and, and fiscal responsibility platform, but that's been decimated in recent times. Um, state treasurer, um, you've got Rosalind Glenn. Um, Curtis Loftus is your current state treasurer. Again, that's the person that holds the purse strings. Um, I think folks really need to pay attention to that. 
your attorney general. Here's something that I think people really, that race, and I didn't have a chance to go oh, into yeah, it. We need to talk about it because uh, Constance Inesapulo is from this area. She has a law, she, either she's the, is she a partner or that's, I think that's her law firm yeah. uh, down here uh, in Charleston. Um, yeah, so what do you have to say about the attorney general race? So because there's a lot of scandal going on when it comes to the Wilson situation. Yeah, so Al, Alan Wilson is your current attorney, state attorney general. Mm-hmm. Um that he's like your top law enforcement officer for the state. Right. So his his top cop, top yep, cop. Top cop. Uh-huh. So your your federal uh his federal uh cohort would be Jeff Sessions. Right. Um I think Alan Wilson definitely needs to be replaced. Right. Um I think the the recent um but not covered enough state legislative scandals demonstrate that he he's not the the type of, um, I guess, fair and impartial attorney general we need um, regarding that. I think also he uh, <clears throat> he's too embedded within the, the, the ideology of his, his party, you know, because, again, it, it's, it's definitely a partisan office. Um, and I think it's just time for change um, in that, especially when you start talking about education and you look at if, if there's a. Uh, Scandals and ethics violations going on on your legislative body that doesn't bode well for we the voting public and if the person responsible for making sure that these things are addressed doesn't address them yeah yeah I think in um, my observation of that race um, and now what I'm going to do is include the recent reporting uh, on the Wilson uh, issue or controversy whatever you want to call it but um, I will say from the Anessa Pulo standpoint. Uh, she's been very clear. She's been very device, uh, decisive, excuse me, and very. Um, she was very responsive to whenever her uh, can't, her um, opposition made headlines. She had a response to it, and I thought that was. Um, I, I like her campaign. It's very quiet. Um, it's very no frills, but uh, she's responding and she's presenting an option to a lot of folks um, who want to have a, a better representation in that office. So I, I think that covers it. I wanted to just get down to the school board issues. I, I know you're very passionate about education here in Charleston. I know you're very passionate about, you know, your work. And I guess you you are going to continue to work. Do you have any plans for the future as in terms of, like, where do you see yourself? What role you're playing? Yeah, so interestingly enough, and I want to say before I forget, thank you so much for asking me to be a part of the podcast. Oh, I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I want people to know, yes, we are definitely looking at these midterms as very important um, races. I'm going to pretty much resign myself that I'm going to be politically active for the foreseeable future. Yep. Um, and I want people to understand, so we've got midterms this year. Next year, locally, we've got mayoral and city council races along with a couple of county council now yes let's talk about it right so like a lot of things there's a lot of excitement around these very important midterms for the for a a number of great reasons especially if charleston does elect uh joe cunningham that's just national news to unseat sanford and for a democrat to win so i know everyone's excited about you know showing up on rachel maddow and msnbc 
I can care. I care a little bit. I want to keep caring about the next year right. and 2020 right. and the census as it pertains to our um, Hispanic or Latin communities. Yes. So you're saying next year there's uh, Mayor Sumney is up for re-election yes. in North Trump, Charleston. North Charleston and downtown right. are, are the two major right. uh, elections that okay. I'm going to definitely take okay. take precedent because both of those elections in 2015 were definitely contentious. What I would love to see is the same level of energy and emphasis that, that that's being put into these midterms and these school board elections now transcend into the mayoral because sadly for all that um, has been going on and has been happening, our turnout has been 15 to 12% for those. So I, what my goal is, is to push the same level of emphasis because the mayoral elections also and city council also impacts education in terms of funding and things of that nature. Then after that, because we can't let up after the mayoral elections in 2019, you've got your representatives again. You've also got Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham, who told women you don't matter. Okay, right. he's up in 2022. I think right. he's jockeying for right. Jeff Sessions' yeah. seat. Because he, but he, he done jumped out the window in terms of like he don't even care no more. So I think he's definitely auditioning for another yeah. position. Yeah. But even with that, what what I want people to pay attention to uh-huh. is his party. He's a representative of his party. So we have an opportunity if the Dems or whomever can get their stuff together, I would love to see a progression, progressive or a, what I would like to call a fusion candidate come up, someone that could bring together the non-traditional platforms. South Carolina is changing as a state. We got more people here. It's more than just the traditional liberal versus conservative. Um, we've got that and we've got presidential. And I'm, I'm going to go on record and say this. For all the rhetoric, all the teeth gnashing going on mm-hmm. regarding Donald Trump, Donald Trump isn't the issue. It's your neighbors. Say it again. It's your neighbors. <laughs> it's your employers. Yes. It's your family members. Yes. The people who are voting. The same thing applies even in our school board yes. elections. It's not the candidate. It's who votes for the candidate. Can I say this? So um, on last Monday, and you came out to support this, we had Black Voters Matter come in town. Let me just say this. I should have just led with this. Um, I'm actually going to list them as a sponsor of this podcast because when I tell you Black Voters Matter not only came through in terms of support, they came through in terms of knowledge. And, and what you weren't able to, to, to hear um, before you arrived was that, you know, uh, Latasha Brown, who we've seen on all over yes. the news, she's just a force to be working with her. And she and Cliff are amazing from Black Voters Matter. And um, one thing she said was that we have to stop building on candidates. Right. We have to build our political power yes. in our communities. Yes. So, yeah, of course, Trump being president is important, and it, it, we need to pay attention to what he does in terms of laws. But what's not important is getting caught up in his personality quirks, getting caught up in his rhetoric and his racism. We already know what it is. Right. It's going to get right. worse. He, right. There is no rock bottom until... You know the Senate and the, and the House changes, and and we get it. You know, there's this movement there in terms of the the word that shouldn't be spoken, but impeachment. But um, but that being said, uh, Black Voters Matter reiterated how important it was to build around the issues. Yes. Stop building yes. around the candidate, and that's why I, I keep telling people. 
push these people running for office to their platform should reflect what the hell you want. Yes. Like Joe Cunningham's platform should be like what what Donna says, what Susie says, what Fred says. Yes. That's what the plan. It should be all these um, what his uh, strategists and what his paid consultants craft. It should reflect what you want. Granted, he got it right with the offshore drilling. That ain't enough for me right. because where he stands on 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 Medicaid, or excuse me, when he stands on affordable health care, should worry a lot of a lot yes. of people. Yes. Um, so it, it, you know, we need to stop building around candidates. I don't give a damn about Joe Cunningham. I don't give a fuck about Trump. I don't. I care about how we build and coalesce around the issues here in Charleston. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, and 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 let, and that's we share so so much common ground with that. <laughs> and and here's something else I want people to understand. You remember earlier uh-huh. um, this year uh-huh. in Alabama how yes. black people Latasha Brown was part of that. Yeah, right? black voters matter. Yes, uh-huh. how black people once again came out to say white folks from themselves, and I'm gonna say it yeah. just like that. Because, this is an unapologetic podcast, so yeah. we say that all the time. Yes, but it's honest. It's it's <laughs> honesty like that that's needed politically. Right. But you saw how. And I paid attention just, you know, following all the articles and whatnot. But you mm-hmm. saw how the mobilization of black people mm-hmm. was so powerful. But the question that I kept asking people, I said, so why is it just black people coming out to do that? Right. Then that let me know we have more political power and capital yep. than we are ever told. And in smaller numbers. we Well, we vote at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. Um, vote, black people vote, especially black women. But at a smaller number, we still outweigh right, right. our white counterparts. And 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 here's the thing: what I want, I don't. I'm like you. I want black people, black and brown communities, this, all your disenfranchised communities, mm-hmm. to begin to form your own platforms yourself. Right. It shouldn't matter. Joe Cunningham, whoever, they should come, and you should have your three to five points. And you listen to them give you their 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 pitch, but then say, "This is what we're concerned with. What are you going to do about that?" Yeah. That's how you change the duopoly because Democrats and Republicans phone it in on both sides. Both sides. They phone it in. Yeah. They do tokenism, which is something I speak about all the time, and I'm gonna say this on record: yeah. I don't care that you're black. <laughs> I really don't. I, I try to love all my people. I don't care. I backed Kelsey Willie in the last uh, the primary. <laughs> I, I mean, if you got the, that doesn't mean I'm not support. I'm supporting Stephanie Gannaway yeah. now. But, I, but being yeah. black ain't enough. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, I support progress. Right. Like. If, as a black person in America, we have so many issues. You talk about the environment. Let's talk about the environmental gentrification that's happening to black and brown communities under the guise of economic development. I don't hear anybody talking about that. I don't need you to throw some crumbs out there and say, oh, well, we'll back this, that, and the third. No, I need deliberate, consistent results. Economic development. You had your U.S. Senator Tim Scott get all these accolades in Forbes and Fortune about his opportunity zones. Yeah. Well, who do you think those opportunity zones truly going to benefit? Right. Not us. Right. So I think that as we look for the next two election cycles, right. these are the questions we need to ask. Right. These are the things we need to push. 
And we need to stop being so desperate for attention. These folks have to come to us. And I'm not talking about, and this may offend some folks, and I'm I'm, don't, I'm not don't, sorry. Don't, don't, yeah, just talk. Like, the black community is not the black church. I know some people that think, swear to God, past the pork chop in them. You, once you get their endorsement, you good. But think about this. There's so many other people in the black community doing good work on the ground. And that's why, like, when Brittany Mathis came up with the idea that I joined her in with the soul-to-soul salon strategy, we knew, right, because she and I, we knew we didn't go to church. I didn't go to church anymore. I was raised in a church, raised Baptist, Sunday School Teacher of the Year, 1996. But, like, I don't go to church. And for you to assume that black folk are are always going to be in the church and when you get Reverend, as you call them, Reverend Porkchop's endorsement, like uh, you know, that ain't enough. We need to start, especially, okay, I'm going to say this and then we're going to wrap up. But especially in the South where we're experiencing a reverse migration of black folks like myself who chose to leave the, the Philadelphia metro area and return to the South. I'm one of, of scores of, of, of black professionals with degrees who are coming back home, quote, uh, quote unquote. And so when you think about that, we know that that's a progressive voice. That's probably someone less likely to be in church. Right. Um, be more just, yeah, le- less conservative as yes. our parents are. Yes. And so the South is changing. I post that video often that my friend Hunter Boone produced. The South is changing. And it needs, it needs to be more LGBTQ affirming. It needs to be be more so. So my, we say all this because trans we have right. Yes, all of, like exactly. We got trans women in this state being murdered. We had two in the state alone. We had Sasha Wall and then the other young lady. Oh my God, her name escapes me right now. But like we need we need to make sure that our elected officials or those vying for office speak to these new uh, these new emerging demographics that are shifting to the south. So um, I guess as we wrap up, I guess, um, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Is there anything you want to say on your way out? Yeah, basically, also just to, to, to tell everybody that listens to this podcast, change is on the horizon. Yeah. I, I don't believe in the narratives crafted by mainstream media, y'all. Nope. It's hard. Just think about it. We're in civil rights 2.0 and in some cases 3.0. <laughs> you know, it. Yep. they will never tell us when we're going to be successful because that's not their job. Yep. But, you know, people like you, Tamika, and others, Black Voters Matter, there are countless individuals that I know personally that give me hope that we're on the right path. And as a father and an uncle, I can't rest knowing that the society and world that we live in is not where it should be. I can't close my eyes knowing that I'm leaving my son and nephews in in the state that we're in. That's right. I, I, I appreciate you leaving on that note because you're right it is a narrative that's been constructed um i told this to my friend kate who uh shared her yoga stage with me and another local black yogi uh today that um you know i had to turn off the news especially yesterday we had a mad another mass shooting but not only because of that it's it's pain is profitable yeah there's nothing more cnn would love nothing more but to have another four years of trump CNN and MSNBC, because their ratings are through the roof, it's profitable. Stop letting them traffic your pain. Stop letting them hustle you and, and sell you your pain. Um, we know we need to make sure we get off the television and get into our communities. And I know when we when I first met you, I pushed you back. I told you to be be more gentle with your black with your black family. Yes. When you love people, it ha- it get painful. Believe me, I wanted to see more black faces this morning at yoga. 
Um, but Kate mentioned a quote this morning. She said, what breaks your heart is your work. And we know that our hearts get broken in this activism work and this advocacy work that you do. I want to commend you for the work you do. Um, but like you said, change is coming. So I look forward to you being part of that change. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>